0: My name is Julian, and this is the Sales Fix Podcast. It's you, the salespeople across the world that make the world a better place. You've brought down prices, you've increased quality, you've caused the guarantee, the warranty, the return policy, hundreds of thousands of dollars, discussions, interviews, sales quick tips, everything to sharpen the saw and make you a better salesperson. And hello, sales professionals. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Fix Podcast. My name is Julian. I will be your host. If you are here joining us for the first time, welcome. This podcast has two types of episodes, the quick fix episodes, which is what we'll be doing today, which is just 15 to 20 minutes of a quick fix or quick habit change that you can do to improve your sales. And then obviously, we also have discussion episodes and interview episodes, uh, which you can find online. You can find us at anchor.fm salesfix. For all the episodes or they should be available on all your podcast services. So welcome back and let's talk a little bit today about prospecting. Uh, Prospecting is not in the realm of responsibilities of every salesperson. Uh, But it is, you know, there are a lot of sales uh, positions out there that require that you generate uh, business, that you generate leads. Now, some companies split that up and uh, you may be listening to this as somebody who does only prospecting or you may be listening to this as somebody that um, does prospecting is just a part of what you do. Uh, either way, it's usually the least favorite part of the day for almost any sales professional that I've ever talked to. Um, I usually equate it to you know, uh, daily exercise or brushing of teeth. You don't have to like it. You just have to do it because it's good for you. It's good for your business, so you need to do it. Um, but here's the thing. The prospecting does not really have to be as painful as we often make it out to be. And it is the fundamental mistakes that salespeople make that create most of the really painful stuff around prospecting. So what I want to do today is go over uh – you know, sort of my top list of where I see people make mistakes in prospecting when I get involved inside a conversation training a company. Um, And I'm not a big fan of resolutions. So this isn't really about like, hey, I resolve not to do these things. Um, This is more make a strategic plan and a commitment to a proper tactical approach and discipline uh, as you look at your prospecting going forward. And so, uh, let's look at some things that you can systematically change versus just making a an empty handed commitment, right? Which is, oh, I, 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 I'm going to feel better about doing this. I'm going to make more calls. Well, that's great. But if the calls are painful, really painful and painful all the time, eventually you're going to wear yourself down and you're not going to make more calls. So instead, you know, write these things down as part of your sales process, write these things down as sort of the potholes to avoid. And if you consistently avoid these things, you'll find that prospecting is really not that painful because the spirit and the approach and the tactical and the strategy of it are all aligned in a way that you're having quality conversations with people whether they turn out to be clients or not right so what I'm going to go through again here is you know my, my top six the top six mistakes that I see people try to make in prospecting now let's go let's go to the big one first right number one you try to sell everyone Okay, And this is the the most fundamental mistake is that people look at prospecting as my job is to call everyone and sell them. Everyone out there is a client. Well, not everyone out there is a fit for whatever product or service that you sell. It's not about getting everyone to love your service. It's about finding the clients who actually need it. So the first and foremost sort of psychological dedication commitment that you have to make to yourself is your job is not to try to sell everyone. Your job is to make enough calls that you find the people that are a potential fit for the next step. That next step could be a demo, a presentation, or it could be the sale directly depending on how simple or complicated your sale is, right? But look at the mission of prospecting is not trying to sell everyone but actually trying to have a conversation with as many people as you can in order to find the ones that are worth selling. So that's number one. Number two is you don't track your activity. And you, what you'll find in almost any level of success for anyone in any profession is they know their metrics. They just do. Whether it's somebody going up on Shark Tank and looking for an investment, if they don't know their numbers, they typically get, you know, beat up and kicked out of the room pretty quickly, uh, all the way to professional athletes, doctors, um almost anybody who has success at anything is tracking metrics. They're looking at conversions. They're looking at things like, how do I do between step three and four? What's the best I've ever done? What's the worst I've ever done? How am I doing now in comparison to the worst or the best that I've ever done? And by looking at that, Statistical information they can make adjustments because you can't make adjustments if you don't have information to adjust off of. So even if your company doesn't require it, you should be tracking how many calls you're making, how many pitches are coming out of those calls, how many meetings are coming out of those pitches, how many proposals are coming out of those meetings, so on and so forth. Knowledge is power. There are so many benefits to tracking that I actually can't possibly list them all out here, right? But you have to know your numbers, know your numbers as a baseline to understanding your business. Anybody who has success at anything knows their numbers. Okay. Number three, and I apologize, by the way, if you're hearing some wind blowing, it's kind of windy where I am. It's uh, beautiful in Florida. So I'm recording this outside, but there's a little wind in the background. So apologies if you hear occasional across the microphone. Okay. Number three. The third biggest mistake that we make in prospecting is that we prospect for a sale, not for a meeting. Prospecting is about opening the door to a conversation that might potentially lead to a sale. It's not about getting an immediate sale. Another version of this that you've probably heard out there in the sales world is you sell the appointment, not the product. It's the same exact, you want to prospect for the meeting, not for the sale. Now there could be an exception some of you are working in simple enough sales that you're calling up people and you're going for that quick sale so if this doesn't apply disregard it. but in most cases when heavy prospecting is going on what we're actually trying to sell for is the meeting because the intent of calling on someone should be to qualify them for the business conversation and not assume that they're already qualified there are very few products that are universal that everybody needs so ultimately there is a aspect of qualification that's got to be happening within that approach that prospecting interaction and what that means is you're looking to set the next step and the next step is the meeting, the conversation, the demo, whatever it is. So if we're going for the quick sale, typically what we're finding is we're asking for too much commitment too quickly. Take this to the dating analogy that keeps coming up on all of these podcasts, right? And the dating analogy just tells us that if I walk into a bar and walk up to somebody and my aim is to get married, I'm kind of skipping a whole bunch of steps. It's okay that I have potentially a long-term goal of wanting to marry, but my approach to that person in that bar can't be leading to a proposal of marriage in that particular moment. I'm skipping the whole courtship phase, the whole getting to know you, the whole seeing if we're a match aspect of the relationship building that happens. And you're doing the exact same thing in sales if you're going for the sale too quickly. The intent of calling on a prospect should be to qualify them for that next business conversation. Walking in and dumping product information all over them is typically a sign of either desperation or amateurism. So if I'm being called on that way, I look at that and interpret that as I'm dealing with a desperate salesperson that really needs to make a sale. So they're not interested in my needs. They're not interested in fixing my problems. They're not interested in being a viable or useful solution. They're interested in making a quick sale or a commission. And if I don't believe that, then I just believe you're not very good at your job. And either way, you're not building trust. And as we know, trust is the great power you know, behind sales and sales getting made. So you cannot lead by burning trust. And you burn trust if you go for the quick sale. So number three, you're prospecting for a sale, not a meeting. That's typically the number three mistake that people are making. So prospect for the meeting, not for the sale. Now, number four, and this one is so important. And I know I probably talk about it all the time. And certainly if you're, you know, part of one of my clients and you've attended some of my live or virtual trainings, you'll know this is something that I harp on all the time, right? The mistake you're making on number four is you're selling into gain not into pain. No one likes focusing on the bad, but science has unequivocally proven that 70% of the daily decisions that are made by human beings are made on the basis of avoiding pain, and only under 30% of them come from a motive of seeking gain. So what that means is all human decisions are made for one of two reasons: to seek out a plus or to avoid a minus, right? Seek out gain, avoid pain. It's called the pain pleasure index in psychology if you've ever heard it referred to or if you want to look it up for more information. So if we know not only that 70% of the decisions are made on avoiding pain and only 30% are on seeking gain, not only that is that true, so you have twice the odds are twice in your favor. That if you sell on avoiding pain, people are going to loop in. But not only that, but all things being equal, if you put those two motivators together, people will typically go further to avoid pain than they will to seek out gain. Now, you've seen examples of this in your life. You just don't know that you have. If you know anybody that uh, quit smoking all of a sudden after years of not quitting smoking, what typically happened in those cases is when they were thinking about quitting, they were focusing on the pain of quitting, right? I'm going to have withdrawals. I'm going to want a cigarette. I enjoy a cigarette, whatever it is, right? Right? I'm going to gain weight. Well, they were focusing on all the bad things that would happen if they would quit. right? And the good things that would happen, being in better shape, better health, living longer, not coughing, all these other things, not having yellow teeth, all these things Right? From their perspective, it was like, yeah, these are pluses, but the minuses are scary. And ever since the primal days of human existence, where we've had to worry about noises in the bushes, right, because it could be a predator out to kill us. Realistically speaking, humans are wired, programmed to avoid pain. So we will go further to avoid pain than we than we will to seek out gain, even when the forces are evenly matched. And so that that smoker who quits smoking, typically, if you drill down and you do some research and some interviews, what you find is One day they walked into a hospital or one day they talked to somebody who had, you know, lung surgery or they'd lost a relative to lung cancer or something like that. And now what happens is there's a shift in focus. All of a sudden the shift of the pain of not quitting becomes what they focus on. Now they're focusing on the downside, the pain, if they don't give up cigarettes, not the upside of continuing to smoke, whatever that upside is for them, right? So all of a sudden... They're looking at – and the circumstances are exactly the same, but their focus shifted to the pain side of the coin. And pain drives action. It drives change in human beings. Human beings will will avoid pain at, at any and all cost if they can. It's, it's a, a constant consideration for us as human beings. We're pain avoidance machines. So – by the way, they've done other studies. One of my favorite ones is when they were selling raffle tickets at a particular event. And when you walked in, they were offering you two raffle tickets. And they, the both raffle tickets were about the same price. One of them, however, gave you an 80% chance of only winning $1. Whereas the other raffle ticket, gave you a twenty percent chance of winning a thousand dollars now clearly the upside is much bigger on the thousand dollar you know but you've only got a twenty percent chance of winning and what the experiment showed them is most people, deferred to buying the ticket that gave them an 80% chance of winning, even though it was winning a lot less. Why? Because a higher priority in their brain on a primal level was telling them you can avoid losing way more if you pick this option than if you pick that option. The winnings are bigger over here, but the chances of losing are way higher over here. And so what happens is people shift their their uh, their behavior based on exactly that, that pain pleasure matrix. Okay. Mistake number five. You don't focus on the work, okay? Motivation without discipline is feckless. It's useless, it doesn't work. If your focus is on the result or outcome, then it isn't on the work. So if you focus on doing the prospecting work as well as you can and the results come from that prospecting work, you'll find it's a lot easier to keep up with the prospecting work. We don't control results. This is the dirty secret of sales. But we do control the things we do, our activity and the things that we say that create the results. So do your job and do your job well and no one ever succeeded by focusing on things they don't control. Again, if you haven't grasped this concept, what I'm trying to say here is if you focus only on being happy when you have a prospecting call that turns into an appointment or eventually turns into a sale. Then what you have is you've only got a positive assumption around a a low percentage of the time that these things actually convert. If you focus on making every cold call, every prospecting interaction at the highest quality because you're avoiding these traps so you don't feel awful about yourself when they don't work because if if we understand, right, that we're prospecting for a meeting and not a sale, if we don't get a meeting because there's not a fit, it's, that's that's not a reflection on you or even your product or company. You just, you were selling sell, size 12 shoes and I have size six feet, right? So it, it it's not a fit, not a big deal. It doesn't hit you emotionally. And that allows you to focus on the work, focus on the number of calls you're making. And are you doing the right things? Like making sure that you've, uh, alleviate their fear of time. Are you doing the right things like talking to the pain and not the upside? You're not spouting features and benefits, right? The one we just talked about here, you want to sell into the, into the pain, not into the gain. If you're doing all these elements, the cold call in itself becomes a lot less painful and you can focus on the work. You control your activity, focus on doing the work and the results will come from that. Okay. Mistake number six. Mistake number six is you don't make adjustments. You don't observe what's going on, you assume that things that were true in the past are true in the present, and you don't make adjustments to things that stop working or things that start working. This is being recorded about a year after the initial really big blow up around the coronavirus pandemic. So we've been about a year of dealing with that situation. And realistically things, there's things that in my sales approach may have worked really well 10 years ago, specific tactical approaches or things that I say, right, that just don't work anymore because circumstances have changed. There's also things that didn't work back then that might work now because people's priorities and needs have changed and their ability. So for example, I can sell a whole lot more online and virtual trainings now than I could even two years ago because two years ago, there was a lot of companies that just weren't very well equipped to be able to put 10 or 12 or 20 people into a meeting and they wanted you to come into the call center and train there. That was kind of the default setting. Well, that's changed, right? So my approach has to change based on that. So sure, you may have been the the top sales guy at your last job, people who, you know, um, lock onto that, realize very quickly that successful people typically don't allow their minds to get stuck on what was true in the past. What what successful people do is they constantly analyze and adjust to what's true right now. Pay attention, hence why that Second mistake of not tracking is so important because if you have tracking data, you have things to pay attention to. And then change what needs changing. Change is not a bad thing. A lot of people think it is. A lot of people resist change automatically as being a bad thing. Random, non-deliberate, non-thought-out change is a bad thing. Totally agree. But if you analyze, you reflect on what you're analyzing, and you make adjustments – then that change is actually going to power your success and not hinder it. The world is littered with the carcasses of companies and careers of people who did not adjust to the changes around them, who refused to see what was going on in front of them because they were locked into the past perfect example of this for example is blockbuster that didn't really begin building their online or their mail or their virtual business until it was too late until netflix and a whole bunch of other people had stepped in and basically taken that that audience from them and it was too late for them to adjust why because they were clinging to the past they were like people have always rented videos they've always rented they've always come in and looked and browsed into the store so they can see the cover of the movie and blah 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 and this is the way that they'll always do it well we now know in hindsight, that's absolutely not true. But how many of the same assumptions are going on right now in today's world where people have said, well, people have always done it that way. I once did a consulting gig with a company that at the time that I'd stepped in as a consultant to do some sales training with them, they had been in business for about three years. And I was shocked at the number of twabbers that were in that company. What's a twabber? A twabber is somebody who believes in TWAB, T-W-A-B. That's the way it's always been. I was shocked at the number of people who said, well, we've always done business this way. This is always the way it's been. And my thought at the time was, always? You've been in business for three years. What do you mean always? Three years is a speck of time. Right? There's business, there's companies out there that have been around 25, 30, 40, 140 years, and they don't think that way. And the reason they don't think that way, the reason they've survived and done well and survived 140 years is because they don't think that way. So be very careful about not making adjustments. And not making adjustments typically comes down to one of two things. It's a lack of belief that making adjustments is necessary, blockbuster and in what we just discussed – or it's a lack of having anything to adjust to because you're not tracking and looking at data. I also see the mistake of a lot of companies that have phenomenal data tracking, unbelievable access to unbelievable statistical information that can give them unbelievably good insights into their business. Guess what? They don't look at them. They record all, all their sales reps' calls. I'll, I'll step in and I'll go, do you guys record your calls? Oh, yeah. We have thousands of hours. Who listens to them? Nobody. Okay. Okay. So nobody goes and listens to the calls of the best reps, the ones that are converting at the best rate, and says, what are they doing different than the reps who are converting at the worst rate or even in the middle of the pack reps, right? What's different about what's? what are the consistent things that we're seeing here versus what that we're not seeing over here that differentiate between those two people? And it's actually a great segue into uh, talking about uh, you know one of the partners of the show, Refract.ai, because one of the things that I love about that tool, and you can find the link in the show notes, Refract.ai slash salesfix, Refract is a company that gives you unbelievable insights with the data that they help you collect. They can record calls, they can build databases to calls, but they can also give you a lot of shortcuts to be able to see things like how what percentage of the time is the rep talking versus the client talking. How often is this particular topic coming up? Where is it coming up? How many questions are we asking on average? Are we asking questions throughout the whole interaction or only at the beginning in the declared needs assessment or discovery period? This is all data that's really useful and they help you bottle it up and take a look at it in an insightful way so you can draw insights from it because again collecting all that data and not doing anything with it is one of the fundamental mistakes that you can make because you can't make adjustments off of what you don't know. So real quick, to review six biggest mistakes that people make if you're prospecting for a living or even if prospecting is part of your job, right? Number one, you try to sell to everyone. Number two, you don't track your activity. So you don't have a sense of what you're doing and what's working and what's not. Number three, you're prospecting for the sale, not the meeting, you're selling the product, not the appointment. Number four, you sell into gain you spot a lot of features and benefits information. You don't try to isolate pain and talk to people about the pain that they have and how you can solve it. Number five, you don't focus on the work. You're only happy when one of them hits home. You don't focus on rewarding yourself for the work. Same way a great diet or exercise program works, you got to focus on the work. And then number six, you don't make adjustments to what you're doing wrong, And you don't focus on adjusting more to what you're doing right because, again, you've got the blind spot of not having the data or just because you're just not looking at the data even though you have access to it. So those six basic prospecting mistakes, if you can embrace those six things and get away from doing them and have a sales process that steers you towards not doing those things, what you're going to find is prospecting becomes a whole lot less painful. You're a whole lot more at ease when you're calling your prospects because you have your process and you're going through it. It's also a lot more efficient and courteous and respectful of their time and their attitudes and they don't sense that desperation coming from you that you're eagerly just trying to write up a commission as quickly as you can. If you don't have a sales process that enables you to do those things. If you're a sales leader and you're asking yourself right now, wow, are my people making these mistakes? And how do I train around making those mistakes? Reach out to us, info at salesfix.com. That's info at salesfix, salesfixes with two Xs. And the reason you want to do that is because the way you'll grow your sales is to grow your salespeople. If you're an individual sales rep, I hope you wrote down those six things, and I hope you ask yourself and you go look at what you're saying and the sequence of what you're saying, and you ask yourself things like, "Am I fouching? Am I am I spouting features and benefits here? Is this what I'm doing?" Or how do I convert that to the pain? How do I isolate what the feature and benefit solves the pain and bring that into the script? Am I making adjustments based on what I hear? Am I tracking my activity? Am I assuming that everybody is a valid prospect and trying to sell everyone? I hope you'll go look at those things because what you'll find and I, what I hope you'll find, what I wish upon you is to find that same freedom from the brutal pain of prospecting because if prospecting is tied around these six mistakes, it's really hard to continue to doing. It's very demoralizing. Once you understand these six things, and you're able to navigate around them. I find prospecting to be, I'm not going to say it's my favorite activity. I'd much rather, you know, go sailing or fishing or doing a whole bunch of other things, but I don't find it grueling I would say is the best word to describe but I don't find it grueling at all because I understand what my role is within the prospecting interaction that's going on hope you enjoyed this uh, sales fix quick fix tip if you get a chance to click that subscribe button it's free you can also go to our website and we have a weekly sales tip the weekly the Wednesday sales fix that goes out it's an email that goes out and on the sales uh, fix website is also a blog with all that information about basically hundred plus of the past weekly sales emails that are up there that you can review. Appreciate your time and I wish you happy selling. Take care. You've been listening to the Salesfix Podcast. For more sales tactics and tips, visit the blog section at salesfix.com. That's salesfix with two X's. We're on Twitter at Salesfix, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you'd like help training your sales team, Email us at info at salesfix.com.